Welcome to our Thought Leadership interview series. I'm Brandon Cooper, the Chief Risk Officer here at Venminder. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend, former colleague, and industry expert, Glenn Trudell. Glenn is a consumer financial services, banking, and business attorney with Ballard Spar, who counsels financial institutions, marketplace lenders, fintech entities, and other companies on both regulatory and transactional matters. Glenn has significant experience with the documentation and creation of marketplace lender platforms and structures and the acquisition and divestiture of consumer and business credit card and other loan portfolios. He also advises state and federal financial institutions on regulatory, operational, and vendor outsourcing matters, debt sales and collection agreements, and other transactions. Before re-entering private practice, Glenn was a senior vice president and counsel with MBNA America Bank, which is now part of Bank of America. During his 14 years with MBNA and since then, he has advised on a broad variety of general purpose and private label credit card, unsecured lending, deposit, and other bank regulatory issues. Glenn has extensive experience in representing the bank and other credit card issuers and partners in the negotiation, structuring, creation, and administration of joint marketing, co-brand, affinity, and enhancement agreements, as well as account portfolio acquisitions and divestitures. He also advised on regulatory and operational matters related to the international expansion efforts of MBNA. So let's take a moment to welcome Glenn. Well, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's always great to get back together with you and, uh, and do things together. So thanks for having me. It certainly is, and we've really enjoyed working with you and some of the other fine folks at Ballard Spar. I know they're obviously one of the leading financial services and other types of law firms out there, so it's, it's, it's a terrific, terrific partnership. From your perspective, how do you think financial institutions are doing overall with third-party risk management? Well, you know, Brandon, it's sort of hard to make pronouncements for, you know, the in the financial institution industry as a whole, you know, that are that's meaningful, but you know, you know, I think they're all, you know, dealing with the same issue and it's sort of the a, you know, the job that never ends basically. Uh, you know, like the old saw about, you know, cleaning the Lincoln Memorial uh that statue of Lincoln and the Lincoln Memorial, as soon as you're done, it's time to start all over again. Um, the, you know, as, I mean, basically they're deal with, dealing with third-party vendor risk is really about, you know, in essence, a continuing process, establishing a workable and compliant process and structure and getting it in place, and then actually doing what your procedures say you're doing uh, and doing that consistently, which is often a problem. While you know, at the same time, evolving your practices to sort of deal with these new and developing risks in, in the area and, you know, picking up emergent best practices uh, in the industry uh, that you're in when, you know, to the extent that they're arising and when applicable. Uh, so, you know, I think that they're all, I think all of the financial institutions, you know, are continuing to wrestle with this constantly evolving, never-ending sort of uh, quest to uh, to get the right uh, balance between uh uh, put, putting appropriate resources into risk management and in yet being effective uh, not only in doing that but also in operating their businesses. I, I totally agree with you. It's funny because when the OCC bulletin that really kind of set things in motion from a life cycle perspective, uh, OCC bulletin 2013-29 came out and really uh, made that emphasis on it being an ongoing process and not just a static one-and-done approach to things. It really did kind of raise the bar and the expectations that, you know, uh, financial institutions need to be doing this continuously. No, I agree, and and it's you know as you know, I mean we've we've been in the business long enough. Uh, that came in, it was sort of a wake up call because it had replaced some earlier guidance. I think it was 2001-47, uh, 
um, which had a similar sort of approach. But, you know, it was 2013-29 uh, was really uh, had taken it to the next level. And it was really, as you say, it was the start of uh, this becoming a front and center risk. And, of course, the CFPB would run with it as well. Sure. Absolutely. You know, what, what do you see as being really the biggest struggle for financial institutions as it pertains to third-party risk management? Well, you know, a, f a few things sort of come to mind. You know, in first, I'd say, you know, dealing with the challenges that we've just been discussing. But to be more specific, you know, to, to pick one, one, one major issue, I think, is sometimes getting the cooperation and the willingness to agree from the third-party service vendors uh, to the sorts of things that the, regular, the regulators would seem to uh, demand or request that financial institutions get, you know, particularly uh, for the, from those vendors that provide critical functions when there's an unequal bargaining position. You know, the typical situation being the, the small institution or maybe mid-size where uh, the vendor provider is a big vendor provider or maybe the only game in town provider for that particular service. Uh, you know, they, they are sometimes reticent to agree to the level of access or the level of information and reporting and auditing and all of those things uh, that, that come from, you know, following the regulations closely, uh, the guidance, you know, closely or literally. And so that can often be a problem. Um, now, in that regard, you know, you raise a problem, you think about a solution. You know, one, th one idea that has struck me as helpful uh, in this regard is is the concept that was uh, espoused in the uh, the June 2017 OCC FAQ, uh, which is uh, OCC Bulletin 2017-21, uh, which supplements their vendor risk guidance, as you know. And it talks about banks collaborating uh, where multiple financial institutions are using the same service provider. And the concept is that, you know, economies can be gained and perhaps even a more level playing field can be established by uh, dealing with them collectively in dealing with some of these larger vendors or, uh, you know, uh, you know, only game in town, as I call it, vendors. Um, and, and really that can happen in many respects because it might not be just for, you know, gaining uh, the reporting and being able to, to share the reporting that they're getting from the vendor so the vendor doesn't have to constantly be putting it out and so maybe it's more palatable to them. Um, but also perhaps just in terms of overall negotiation, uh, negotiating clout. Uh, that can sometimes be of a benefit. And I don't know, you know, of course, the downside for that is that that requires a fair amount of um, cooperation uh, among what could be competitors. And so, you know, uh, one thinks a bit of, of antitrust, but also thinks uh, about the time and resources and the willingness of, you know, potential competitors to, to sort of act uh, in a joint way. But nevertheless, the guidance is out there. Um, so, uh, you know, but it, it does provide an interesting solution. Uh, that'd be one. Second, you know, the, uh, I think a struggle with financial institutions, particularly those who have, you know, put in a new system or have augmented their system uh, is, you know, they're great at the start, but then as time goes on, you know, and other, and other uh, time demands uh, come to the forefront, other issues become hot you know, they begin to lose steam on the ongoing maintenance part of the effort. And, you know, that can be a problem when documentation starts to fall off, things start to fall to the, you know, the C, the C list uh, and that sort of thing. And that, that can go on for a while until, you know, a regulator starts asking for those records and suddenly it's a scramble. Uh, that can be a problem. And then finally, I'd say uh, where the system that's put into place isn't necessarily robust enough, you know, to pick up 
from uh, vendors' regulatory deficiencies before the regulators do. I mean, as you know, uh, you know, it was I think it was last year the CFPB had come out and said they were going to start to do systemic evaluations of service providers, and uh, you know, service providers are under the uh, guidance and supervision of the prudential regulators, uh, so they have the ability to you know to go in and. Uh, what you can sometimes find is that, you know, financial institutions, vendor management systems aren't necessarily robust enough to find problems before a regulator going into that service provider would find that problem. And so that can be an issue as well. And you, you hit a lot of terrific points there. And it's interesting because two years ago, I actually was at the FDIC Community Banking Conference at, at the FDIC offices down in Arlington. And um, the community bankers were loud and clear, look, you know, we're we're being held to due diligence standards that are almost impossible if uh, if the core processors, as probably the easiest example, are playing like the 800-pound gorilla and just saying no and swatting them away. It makes it very difficult. Now, I think, uh, obviously, that's why they've tried to get creative with some additional ideas like sharing among institutions. It will be, it's a challenge, though, because, I mean, you know, from, from the MBNA days and, then, and any other uh, banking competitive environment, you don't want your competitors to kind of get the idea, uh, you know, any, any insight into your your secrets or your secret sauce as to how you're doing things. So that does make it a, uh, quite a bit of a challenge at times. And then finally, you're right. I mean, I, I said just last year with the CFPB uh, pronouncement of direct oversight of service providers, you know, woe to the financial institution that uh, fails to uncover something that the CFPB later finds and comes back and criticizes the bank for failing to notice. So there's a lot going on in all of that. So I, I, I appreciate it greatly. Exactly. You know, one of the topics we're hearing a lot about right now is cybersecurity. Do you think this is something that the average financial institution really needs to be uh, concerned about in their third-party risk management program? Is cybersecurity that hot of a topic? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, this is you know, this area is taking and is going to continue to take more and more resources for financial institutions um, of all sizes. Uh, you know, I mean, the challenge arises because what in part because what constitutes an effective program keeps changing. You know, you can we're seeing, uh, you know, an evolution or revolution in, in some respects uh, of additional regulation and requirements coming online. You know, industry best practices are emerging, uh, again, you know, depending on uh, the, what area you're doing, what products we're talking about, what systems we're talking about. You know, new technologies are constantly being introduced in the marketplace, which if you want to take advantage of them, needs vetting, both in terms of vendor management uh, and for product efficacy before, before it's adopted. And, you know, once these things are on board, as you know, a uh, financial institution's got a continuing obligation to manage and to, to oversee those relationships. And so, you know, the, the financial institutions really need to have their fingers on the pulse of this. I mean, and even if, you know, as you said a minute ago, you know, the, it, the financial institutions are responsible for the, the foibles of their service providers. And so, you know, a bank who outsources everything may think, well, what do I, I'm not so worried about cybersecurity because myself because, you know, it's all outsourced and, and they've got it handled. But if you're not keeping your finger on the pulse um, and they have an issue, then the bank can be subject to criticism for that, not to mention, you know, reputation risk and customers saying, how could you let this happen? Um, so, you know, those those are all issues that are, are, are very difficult. And it can be very difficult for a financial institution to to keep their finger on the pulse and know what other practices are happening out there. I mean, you know, uh, like you mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes uh, – Competitors are a little reticent to talk about, you know, what uh, what they think if they have a competitive advantage, and the same may be true in cybersecurity as well. Um, you know, we are constantly here at Ballard. We have a practice uh, 
which is devoted exclusively to data security and cybersecurity and privacy. Um, and you know, the we are constantly getting clients who are either asking for uh, everything from you know pre-incident counseling, post-incident counseling, uh, doing uh, tabletop exercises, uh, you know, where you're basically this is a drill kind of situation, uh, helping them with policies and procedures, you know, so. This is something that's increasingly getting the ear of uh, and, and the, the attention of the highest levels uh, in banks, both in you know, financial institutions, large, obviously, and, and small as well. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's funny. I mean, certainly things like the Equifax uh, breach and all those fun sort of things just constantly keep it in the forefront of uh, both the congressional leaders' minds and, you know, in the news headlines. So I, I think it is going to continue to just be a, 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 you know, the boiling hot topic for uh, for the foreseeable future. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, one thing I'd add too, as a sort of a practice tip for people here, as they're doing these agreements, and they talk about cybersecurity, and you know, one of the things is, is to really avoid, uh, you know, unrealistic incident reporting obligations in the agreements, because sometimes it's mutuals. If there's a sharing of information, or you know, vendor data is ending up on on a financial institution system, or what, what, for whatever the reason. You know, I've seen agreements where it's saying, well, you know, you have to report the root cause, you know, the, 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 in the event of a breach, uh, whatever that's defined as, whatever the security breach is defined as, you know, you need to report within 24 hours of, you know, the, of the occurrence of the breach the, and its extent and, you know, and sometimes a list of things. That is never going to happen. And so, you know, I mean, it can be, you know, it can be a couple of months before they even know what systems are affected. I mean, you know, so, uh, but I see it time and again. I see it in, in, in boilerplate and form contracts, you know, where it's some ridiculously short period for, for responding and, and it's not always picked up. And so uh, I would just highlight that as a, as a small, for instance, uh, for, you know, uh, vendor management folks and, and those who are, Looking at these contracts to to really talk to their systems people and say, can we live with any of? Can we live with this? Or are these timelines, for example, too short? You know, and and get the feedback they need. That's an excellent point, and uh, and I totally agree with you on that. It is it is uh, kind of an unrealistic and un, and not sustainable standard to to introduce into the contract. I want to shift gears slightly. Um, do you feel like risk management in general gets enough attention from senior management and the board? And you know, what sort of things would you say that they can do to better demonstrate their level of involvement? Well, you know, here again, I think it's hard to generalize. Every institution is a little different, and some are more focused on this, you know, uh, than others. Uh, but in terms of how best to demonstrate it, you know, it really boils down, I think, to to really having solid and organized, retrievable documentation of all of the efforts being made by senior management. Um, and the board, including the board in this area, uh, you know, I, I'd also say that if if the institution does receive feedback from a regulator um, regarding their programs and regarding you know whether senior management is doing what it's supposed to do or the board is is not doing enough, uh, I think then you, the, they should really document heavily how they've reacted to that guidance because you want to be able to support you know empirically. Uh, the position later, you know, that the financial institution indeed acted expeditiously and efficiently to that feedback or requirements. Uh, you know, there are there are consent orders out there where the regulator came back and little or nothing had been done, and and the financial institution really got hammered for that. Um, but it all comes down to documentation because 
you know, people change, they shift jobs, et cetera, and you want to be able to, to show um, everything that the board is doing and everything that senior management is doing um, in, this, in these areas. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the old saying of if it isn't documented, it didn't happen really comes into play here. I mean, it's one thing to say that you kept the board regularly informed and actively involved, but unless you can actively demonstrate that in uh, meeting minutes and discussion and presentation materials, it, you, you really aren't doing quite enough if you, if you can't produce that sort of documentation. That's exactly right. And I think it's helpful to be able to have that segregated in some fashion, either by a cross-reference or a database or however one does it, so that when they say, okay, how have you dealt with risk management or how have you dealt with cybersecurity or whatever it is, whatever, you know, vendor management, you can pull it quickly and you don't have to start going through page by page of all the board minutes hoping to find something. Exactly. Uh, one final question for you as, as yeah. we wrap things up. Do you, um, in the short term or even in the midterm, do you see any relief coming, uh, not just in terms of general regulatory relief, but will any of the proposed regulatory reform trickle down to offer a break to the weary compliance officers as it pertains to risk management? Well, you know, I, I don't see a rollback of vendor management guidance or standards anytime soon. Um, I just don't see an appetite for that. But at least at the federal level, I think we're seeing a change in attitude, certainly among leadership, uh, such as at the CFPB. And, you know, the news is full of uh, Mr. Mulvaney's um, feelings about the role of the CFPB. Uh, but I, I think you're seeing a change in attitudes, as I said, and their willingness to regulate by enforcement, which I think has been the most painful for financial institutions. I think now for rank and file examiners, I think it'll otherwise be more likely business as usual. Again, albeit with maybe less appetite for them to revert to enforcement um, action in the more gray areas of compliance uh, in the risk uh, risk or vendor management area. Of course, there's a lot of gray, but uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be less willing to just jump to enforcement. Um, or in cases where an, an arguable failure to comply by the financial institution was, is somewhat less than clear cut. Um, you know, I, I think we may see less willingness to take very aggressive positions by the regulators um, as they look through, you know, for example, a, a vendor contract or, you know, how your system is, is put together. Um, yeah, I, I, my sense is that's probably where, where it's going, at least, at least as long as, uh, you know, present leadership is in place. You know, it's interesting also, I mean, one of the things I've, I talk a lot about is even if you perceive there is going to be this huge regulatory rollback, that sort of change is just as difficult to grapple with if you're a compliance officer to understand, okay, what do I need to be doing now? I mean, the changing standard is just as difficult going, you know, whether it's getting more stringent or less stringent, you're still having to deal with a, a change in expectation, change in what's, what's out there. But I agree with you, you know, day to day, I don't see the average examiner just suddenly leaning back and saying, okay, let's let's relax and, and not, not dig in as much, uh, particularly around uh, areas like vendor management that have gotten just so much attention. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate all the time today, and I thank you so much for joining the session. I hope everybody's enjoyed it, and you know, certainly please look for uh, future interviews in this series. Any final thoughts, Glenn, before we uh, wrap things up? No, I, I really just appreciate the opportunity to you know talk about some of these issues with you, and uh, uh, and with Venminder, it's a great organization, and I know you're doing a lot of good for a lot of people. So you know, keep it up. But uh, again, always a great opportunity. I'm always jumping the chance to to chat with you for a while, Brennan. Sounds great. Well, I really appreciate it, and thanks again, everyone.